Welcome to visitors. We had a lot of visitors in the first service, family visitors for a family dedication. Uh, we're glad to see uh, old friends and, and new friends join us at JICF. This is the second in a series of messages where we're exploring the gospel written by Matthew. Uh, let me tell you about a vivid memory I have from my childhood. Uh, I would, with my parents, every Sunday afternoon visit my hometown's cemetery. That's right, every Sunday afternoon. And we would locate the grave of my mother's father and my father's mother. And we would make sure it was clean and tidy. We would place flowers on their graves. And then I, as a young boy, would wander amongst the gravestones. Have you ever done that? It's very educational. And as a young person, I would discover the tombstones with stories inscribed on them. Dates of birth and death, names of family, uh, siblings, and sometimes even a little inscription about that person's uh, philosophy of life. Uh, there would be old tombstones, the pioneer people who first settled that town. Most surprising to me, though, as a young person, was the number of young people who had died. Uh, we're talking about people who died in the late 19th century, early 20th century, young babies, little children, in the pre-vaccination era. They died of diseases that we think nothing of today. And also, I would also see the, the graves and the tombs of, of more recent deaths, local residents who had recently died. So what I want you to do this morning is think with me as we walk through Matthew's genealogy. Uh, yes, it's a family tree. However, it's also like walking through a cemetery. You're actually going to see and read a list of names, some famous names, some familiar names, a tribal leaders, kings of nations with whom we are very familiar but who have died and been dead for a very long time. We're also going to be surprised by discovering names in Jesus's human ancestry of people we don't expect to be there. In fact, some of us might even think to ourselves, they shouldn't be there. In the Western world, there's a great uh, craze, as it were, of people investigating their family origins. And sometimes people are surprised by who they find in the list. And sometimes they would prefer not to have those people in their family tree. Perhaps you have a family like that, do you? Do you have skeletons in the closet? Do you have people in your family who you don't mention at the dinner table? Well, you might think that would be true of Jesus' family tree. But Jesus takes a different attitude to these people, these surprising people, these unexpected people. So come with me 
as we walk through the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. You see, this is a Jewish genealogy, and you would expect to find men in this family tree, but not women. And yet there are women. And you would expect there to be Jewish people in this family tree and not Gentiles. But there are Gentiles. This is part of the surprise of what Matthew is revealing to us. There are foreign people. There are foreign places. People and places we think should be foreign to Jesus' family. But they're not. Uh, the other thing that you might need to think about as we begin our walk through the cemetery today is that a genealogy is a very strange way to begin a story about a famous person. Most biographies that I read don't start with walks through cemeteries. But Matthew does. And this is the point. Matthew's gospel, this gospel, is not the beginning of the gospel. This is a very important point for us to understand. Matthew's gospel, this gospel, is not the beginning of the gospel. Matthew's gospel does not begin with Jesus being born in Bethlehem. That's verse 18. Matthew's gospel begins with a man living in Babylon. Is that where your gospel begins? Where does the gospel begin? Not in the books called Gospels, not in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so what I'd like to suggest to you this morning, and you can think about this during the week, is that your New Testament will never, ever be new enough unless it is old enough. Let me say that again. Your New Testament will never, ever be new enough unless it is first old enough. And so the gospel, the, the good news, which actually begins in God's heart, is revealed to us through the ancient story of his people. And using Matthew's markers, let's consider Abraham. You, you've heard of the, the promise he was given in Genesis chapter 12, a very famous promise. Uh, Abraham, I, I'm going to bless you. You'll be a blessing. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. But did you know that that promise was actually the gospel? That's what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. Scripture foresaw 
that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is the promise that controls the whole biblical story from this point on. Everything that God does in history, everything that God does through Israel is controlled by this promise to Abraham. This is the promise that moves the story forward. This is the story that will end with a new heaven and a new earth through Abraham's descendant. All the families, all the nations of the world, blessed through Jesus. And so what we know from the very beginning, as we think about Abraham and the promise God made to him, is this. God's people live by promises, not by explanations. God's people live by promises, not by explanations. Now, you might be a particular scholarly type of person. You might even be scientific. This might be difficult for you to grasp. We don't live by explanations. God doesn't explain everything about himself to us or about ourselves or about his world. But he reveals to us exactly sufficiently what we need to know in order to trust him, to have faith in him, to believe his promise as Abraham did. We live by promises, not by explanation. Now, I don't want to embarrass anyone here this morning, but as we move to the next marker in Matthew's genealogy, we discover that In fact, this genealogy, this family, beginning as it does with Abraham, enlarges into the nation called Israel. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And this is where we start to struggle, isn't it? Let me explain why. If I was to ask for a show of hands this morning, who in this room has seen the Marvel Universe movie called Endgame, would you be sufficiently brave enough to to raise your hand? Oh, not many brave people. Just a few? I don't believe you. You watched it, didn't you? How many times? Come on. My son has seen it twice. A student I've, I teach, he's seen it three times. Anyone more than three? I did read about someone who binged watched the previous 21 movies before watching number 22. But don't laugh too soon because that movie highlights this problem. You see, 
if you have no knowledge of the previous 21 Marvel movies, number 22, called Endgame, makes absolutely no sense. I asked my son, how many movies would I have needed to watch in order to at least get what's happening in this number one, number 22? He said, Dad, you've got to watch seven. And that's our problem, isn't it? We don't read the Old Testament. We know nothing or very little about Israel. Why? Because we think the gospel begins with Jesus. Be honest. You rush to Jesus, don't you? Get me to Jesus. But of course, Jesus makes no sense without the story of Israel, the promises to Israel, the narrative of Israel. And like that end game movie, we miss out on so much for our failure to have delved into the family story in and before the coming of Jesus. So this is Abraham's story. This is Israel's story. And of course, if it's Israel's story, it must be David's story. King David. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6. And as Teddy read earlier, God made promises to David. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. You see, everything that God is doing in history is moving according to his promise. The call of David is actually part of the call of Abraham. Abraham was promised, Genesis 17:6, kings will come from your body. And here's the king, King David, God's servant, who has established Jerusalem as the capital. And when you read the Old Testament, what, what is Jerusalem? It's the place where you find forgiveness. That's where the temple is. It's the place where God's people gather together under the king. It's where they find unity. It's the place where God's people are secure and safe. David establishes their borders. This is the story of the gospel. Matthew isn't the beginning of the gospel. Matthew's the continuing story of the gospel. And so, through the promise given to David, the people of Israel anticipate someone called Messiah, a king in David's line who will live and rule forever. And Matthew's going to bring us to that person, but not before we've walked through the family tree or the cemetery and considered 
his covenant promises and the role of the crown in this country. Now, you expect Abraham to be in this list. You expect Isaac and Jacob to be in this list. You expect the people of Israel to be in this story. You expect David to be there. But we don't expect these four women. This is the surprise. What are they doing there? How did they get there? Jewish families were identified nationally and tribally by the father. The father of. The father of. The father of. But Judah, father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, what's she doing there? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. What's she doing there? And, and by the way, before we continue, you know, we, we get the Bible wrong and we also get our restaurant orders wrong, don't we? Please, can I ask my Indonesian friends, the next time you go to a restaurant, please don't order Salmon. If you order Salmon, you're ordering a Jewish man. You won't get him. The word is salmon. We don't pronounce the L. Salmon, it's not a fish. It's a man in Jesus' family tree. So just be careful. I just wanted to help you out in case that's what you were thinking of having for lunch today. And what about Boaz? Father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. What's she doing there? And finally, David, Solomon's father, whose mother was, we can't even say her name, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. There you go, we just said it. The unmentionable. The people you don't want in your family tree. Why? They're all foreigners. All of them. Canaanites. Moabites. Hittites. They're not Jews. They're not Hebrews. They don't belong. Oh, and three of them have been involved in gross sexual sin. Incest, prostitution, and adultery. And at least two of them belong to tribes about whom God has said they shall never enter the assembly of the Lord. Corrupt women who are cursed. And so this is the great surprise, isn't it? Would you like them in your family tree? And why are they in Jesus' family tree? We see this is the message of Matthew. 
This is a gospel for outsiders. This is a family that welcomes friends and enemies. The gospel is for excluded people. We're all insiders, aren't we? Are we? Or were we outsiders? Gentiles. Paul says foreigners to the promises of the covenant. Ephesians 2. But now brought in, brought near by the blood of Jesus. We were all outsiders. We were all excluded from God's promise until we heard the gospel and we believed. God brings outsiders inside. And that, of course, is the mission of the church, isn't it? We go outside to bring people in, not to this building necessarily, into God's family, offering them the grace of God. People who've sinned sexually or in any other way, God welcomes in by his grace. But there's more. There's not just foreign people. There's a foreign place. It's repeated four times in this genealogy at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon. To the exile to Babylon from the exile to the Messiah. You see, when we don't read the Old Testament, we miss the point. This is the greatest national tragedy in the history of Israel. I, I know we think it's the World War II Holocaust, and that was terrible. This is the greatest national tragedy in the history of the nation of Israel. To have your temple destroyed, to be deported from the land, to live with pagans was the greatest defeat Israel ever experienced and the greatest tragedy for their spiritual and national life. And four times Matthew mentions it because this gospel is for exiled people. This gospel is for excluded people and exiled people. It's for people who are separated from God, who've gone far from God, who've sinned against God, who've been judged by God. Mercy triumphs over judgment through Jesus. And God welcomes back exiles into his royal family. That's good news. Have you ever felt exiled? 
you might be living in Indonesia, but you're not an Indonesian. Do you feel exiled? That's a common feeling. You might have been exiled from your family for some reason. Are you the black sheep of the family? These are common experiences. But the greater exile is to be separated from God, from his promises, from his rest. And so the question that must be asked is, who can restore God's people out of exile into God's family? And that is why we have this interesting clue. The last of the kings mentioned in the genealogy, Jeconiah, a bad king who does evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what does God say to him? He says this, O land, hear the word of the Lord. Record this man as if childless, who will not prosper in his lifetime. None of his offspring will sit on the throne of David or rule any more in Judah. And his sons did not. And in his lifetime, as it says, he would not and they would never rule over the land. The remainder of the genealogy contains no kings. There are no more kings to mention because there's no kingdom. They've been deported. And even though they'll return and, and rebuild the temple, they will be ruled by foreign powers for centuries until the coming of the true king. Joseph, husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is the Messiah. That's a very important phrase. Because Joseph is the legal father of Jesus through the line of David. But he is not the biological father. What has God done? King after king after king is unfaithful to God's covenant. And so God intervenes in Israel's history to bring to us his son, son of David, son of Abraham, who is incorruptible and is always faithful to do the will of his father. This is the real king. He has the pedigree and he has the authority. He's qualified to rule over all the nations of the earth by virtue of his ancestry, 
but importantly by his authority as the Son of God, born to Mary. And so when we think of Jesus being qualified to be the king, maybe you think of two coronations that happened this week. The king of Thailand has been installed on the throne, controversially. There's a new emperor in Japan, a continuous 1,300-year dynasty. But that's nothing compared to this king who will rule and reign forever. And what does that mean for us today? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has qualified him to be king, he qualifies us to be in his kingdom. See these beautiful words from St. Paul in his letter to the Colossians. The Father has qualified you, Christian, to share in the inheritance of his holy people. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So let me ask you, are you a male are you a female? Are you a local? Are you a foreigner? Are you excluded? Have you been exiled? Or should I just say to everyone, are you a sinner? God invites you into his family. But only through this King, Jesus, through whom we discover we are loved as he is. We discover that we are found by him. And we discover that we are forgiven by him. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. You're the King of kings. Thank you, Lord, for this list of names. It teaches us so much about your identity and your authority. Lord, we just want to praise you and bless you and thank you that you've brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son you love. Lord, would you help us to understand more of your grace, be more committed to reading the whole story of the Bible. Lord, may our New Testament be really new. May we rediscover, Lord, your wonderful grace to God's people. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.